Well, <clears throat> this morning, I'm taking a little break from our series called The Blessed Life. We were actually going to be in Ecclesiastes, and for some reason, I just didn't feel like talking about the futility of life in light of certain death would kind of go over this week. So um, we're actually going to, we're going to take a look at the King uh, Hezekiah in, in um, Ecclesi- or Isaiah 36 and 37. We're not going to, we're not going to read every verse, so I'll, I'll uh, kind of dim your fears a little bit there, but uh, we are going to kind of look through this story. If you've been around me very long, you'll probably hear me make a reference to King Hezekiah because in these chapters, he does something that has profoundly impacted me personally in my own spiritual life, in my own prayer life, and in an understanding that in these bad days sometimes that we have in the God that we depend on. Over the years, I've kind of collected different things about how do you know when you have a bad day? You know you're having a bad day when the Department of Biological Warfare calls and asks for your chili recipe, right? That's a bad day. Or if your twin sibling forgets your birthday. Now that's a bad day, you know. This is one of my favorites. Your horn is stuck as you're going down the freeway behind a motorcycle gang. That would be a bad day, right? Or the bird singing outside your window is a vulture. That would be a bad day. I like this one too. You call your spouse and tell them you'd like to eat out tonight and when you get home, you find your dinner on the front porch. <laughs> We're gonna have dinner on the front porch, right? If you have a nice patio, that might not be so bad, but you know, Finny. And then there's some that kind of popped up this week. One for me was that you live in Texas and you have to melt snow to flush your toilets. That wasn't a great day, right? Or you're sitting on your couch in Texas and you're breathing and you see your breath. Like how many went through that this week, right? There's many hands that can be raised right now, I know. You know, we, we find ourselves sometimes going through different times and different struggles and we begin to feel the weight of them begin to crush us in. I was feeling that a little bit this morning, to be honest with you. When my phone at different times of the day rings and it's Alan, I know there's something wrong. And this morning my phone rang and Alan's telling me about water running down our parking lot back here. And then I talked to Jeff and Jeff's telling me, yeah, we're having to shut off the water to the building. And I'm like, Lord, I don't need this this morning, right? Fortunately, it turned out to be our irrigation system, so we can shut it off, because I don't think we're gonna be watering grass for a few days, so I'm not too worried about it. But it was one more thing that was added to everything else. You throw in our country, our nation, our state, our community, divided, angered, even hate to one another over political and social issues that is, that is adding to the stress and the pressures that we face in our work, in our homes, and in our, among our friends and family. Not to mention a pandemic that has changed our whole lifestyle and the difference of views that con- continue to divide and even create hate among those who call themselves God's people, among those who should be united by the Spirit of God. And the pressure continues to to, to mound and begin to push and to men continue to weigh. And sometimes we say, it's enough. 
I was walking out on the sidewalk here, walking up to Jeff, and I was like, yeah, God's doing this again. He's giving me one of these practical lessons about something I'm going to preach this morning. It's one of the reasons sometimes where I'm like, God, why do you have, us have to teach us everything that we have to preach about, right? But isn't that spiritual growth? That we hear of God's word and we learn how it applies. We learn how the practical aspects of God's word relates to our life. And I believe this morning at King Hezekiah, we're going we're gonna to see how do we respond and how should we respond. In chapters 36 and 37 of, of Isaiah, King Hezekiah is facing a tremendous, tremendous struggle. If you're having a bad day, I think his day would be worse. The king of, of, um, of Assyria is now surrounded Jerusalem. And he's fearful when we read in chapter one or chapter 36, verses one and two of Isaiah, it says this, in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of, Sarah, uh, of Assyria sent, uh, I, I, I struggle with names. What that word is really referring to is a spokesman. So the rest of the time you see me and you, hear, you see that word in our passage and you hear me say spokesman, just know that's what it means, okay? So it's a spokesman. The king sends someone to speak on his behalf, right? So he sent the spokesman from Ladesh to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. Don't read over that quickly. With a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer field. Now this is kind of important that marks where he stood. Because if we were to go back to chapter 7 of Isaiah, we would realize 30 years earlier at the same spot, King Hezekiah's dad, his father, King Ahaz, was at the same place. There was still the threat, and there was a threat against Jerusalem and against Judah. And Isaiah came and prophesied. He said, yes, Judah's going to be humbled, but they will not be conquered. And King Ahaz did not believe the word of God that came by the prophet Isaiah. And he made, he made tributes and he made alliances with other nations. He made alliances with other gods because he felt like they would protect him rather than the God Almighty. And so he continues in his own way. And King, King of Syria now approaches King Hezekiah and he gives a crisis that now has an invitation to King Hezekiah to abandon God. You see, I think the more times I've seen in my lifetime of ministry, of seeking after God, I have seen at the time of crisis, more people move away from God than towards God. And it's not, it's not easy to move towards God in the times of crisis. How can I say that? Because I've been there. You've heard me share the story of, many of you have, when my parents' store got robbed and we lost everything. And my mom was in and out of the mental hospital with nervous breakdown. They divorced on several times. I've seen it. And there was so much that would have just been easier just to, hey God, where are you? To pursue my own way, to, just, to go handle it my own I've been told I'm sometimes a control freak. I don't believe that. 
but I like to be in control of things. <laughs> you caught it. It was one of the reasons why I never had issues with drinking. Because I wanted to be in control of my facilities, even before I knew God. And when we become God's people, there comes a place where we find ourselves at the crossroads in the midst of crisis of who are we going to trust? And so many times I'm that person that kicks down a door and drives through and tries to make it happen. It happened up here the other day when we had a, a sprinkler pipe bust in the second floor and just flooded everything below it. And we're kind of cleaning up and I'm sitting here trying to kind of fix things up and one of the deacons was standing down there and he just kind of looked at me and he said, Greg, you kind of want to just get everything fixed in your head and get it all done. We're okay. We're okay. We had gotten it cleaned up to that point. He was right. I was still trying to be in control. I was still trying to make those things happen. I still do that in my own life and I find in those times a struggle to find myself coming to a place where I just hand it over and trust the God Almighty with the outcome and the consequences. Because when we're in the middle of the crisis, what do, we want, what do we want to happen? We want it to go away, don't we? We just want it to stop. Something's got to change. We, 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 we go through those scenes and we, uh, we say, this has to work out somehow. We got to make this work out. And we find ourselves looking to ourselves and to our own wisdom and our own ways and our own principles. And we try to make those things push into the, into the matter of the crisis and make it happen. And when it doesn't, many times we change our attitude about God. Does he really care? Does he, does he really love me? Does he really have the power to change these things? It's where King Hezekiah was at on this day as he, as he faced these, these crises. Was he gonna learn the lesson from his father, King Ahaz, and do something different? Or was he too gonna make alliances? Was he too gonna go after other gods? We know that from the most part, King Hezekiah was a good king. In fact, in 2 Kings chapter 18, verses five through seven, it tells us a little bit about King Hezekiah. It said, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord, God, uh, the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out and he prospered and he rebelled. Now look, listen to this. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. His father did. His father gave in. His father began to make alliances but King Hezekiah would not. By all accounts, he was a good king for Judah. He understood that the, that the spiritual well-being of Judah was just as important as their political and military well-being. You know, sometimes we forget that, don't we? We emphasize politics, we emphasize military, we emphasize job, we emphasize our, our own accomplishments, or our own possessions. But we don't really focus in on our spiritual well-being. And then when things crumble, we wonder, where is God? 
When things begin to fall apart, we, we, we turn our eyes away from him because we have to be a people that pursue him. His reign to, in his reign, King Hezekiah refused to pay tributes. He rejected alliances his father made. He responded by tearing down the shrines and the temples that his father put up. He tore all of those down and he told them they had to worship at, at the temple. He, he reestablished what Moses had commanded at, the, at Mount Sinai because many of the practices of, of Judah had lapsed into just a mixture of superstition, idolatry, and outright, outright neglect of the things of God. He reinforced the walls. He increased their arsenal. Hezekiah knew he understood, even doing all those things, that the spiritual well-being of Judah was just as important as the military or political state of the country. He gathered the people together as king, king of Syria came along. He gathered the people together and prepared them for what was to come. He encouraged them to trust God. Assyria was a mighty army. It was, not a, it was not a pushover, but he was telling them our God is stronger. And you know what was the very next thing that happened as he did those things? If you would read them in 2 Chronicles 31, then 2 Chronicles 32 Verse one, it says, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, he's talking about, they're talking about what, what King Hezekiah had just done, calling the people together, telling them that our God is stronger than his army. It says, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. So many times we think, Hey, man, I'm following God. I'm reading my Bible. I'm praying. I'm seeking God. And then these, these things happen. I mean, everything King Hezekiah did, he was right in tearing down those, those, those false shrines and those false temples and those false altars. He was right in doing that. And yet here he finds himself with the king of Assyria outside, ready to conquer them and to take them out. And sometimes we think that way, don't we? We think somehow that a godly lifestyle protects us from difficulties. But it's not promised in the scriptures. We need to understand that a lot of times we are put in circumstances and in situations that gives us an opportunity to respond in a way that, that allows God to be glorified and to be lifted up, for his name to be known, to, that he would be lifted. We sometimes think our character, our godly character protects us from a crisis. But godly people go through trials and crises as well. You see, the question isn't how do I avoid trials? That's the question we all want to have answered, isn't it? How do I never have, how do I never have that phone call from the doctor? <laughs> you know, it's chuckling, I was telling someone not too long ago that over the last two to three years, I've had three different instances or I've had to have biopsies done because I thought I might have cancer. And all three times, it came out negative. And I remember the doctor said, man, you're playing Russian roulette. I didn't like that, because in Russian roulette, you eventually lose, right? You know? I mean, I know I'm gonna go someday, right? I'm gonna go see Jesus somewhere along the line. I'm okay with that. But I want it to be in God's timing. It's not how I avoid trials. It's what do I do when the trials come? 
How do I respond when the difficulties came? This morning, I, wanted to, I was so aggravated driving up here when I heard about another break. It's at least my third or fourth one this week, right? And then I was sitting there going, how many other people this morning still don't have water because of busted pipes? How is it easy that we become so focused on, our, on ourselves? And who do I have the right to be so mad over a situation that I can't control? Do I trust in a God? God, I wish I could describe how much God protected us in what happened in this break we had over here. It could have been so much worse, so much. And I, and I look at that and I go, wow, thank you, Lord. Because not everybody was protected, right? Some had a lot more damage. In those difficulties, it's not really that we avoid them. It's, it's, it's how do we respond? How did King Hezekiah respond as Assyria attacks Judah, as it takes over city? And Isaiah, even though he prophesied that they wouldn't conquer, now we see the king of Assyria sitting outside and camped outside Jerusalem, and it seems impossible it seems impossible that Jerusalem won't fall either, that it will, that it will somehow make it. In fact, I think uh, it's record, recorded 46 cities Assyria had conquered. And when they conquered, they went in and they, they would take the people and take them to another country and they'd lay waste to the city if they rebelled. And they did that to intimidate. They did that in order for them to, to, out of fear, respond in such a way that they would give up, thinking it would be safer and easier to give up. Even Hezekiah's faith begins to wear. On one hand, he's encouraging the people to be strong. On the other hand, he's going into the temple and he's pulling the gold off of the doors, gold he put on and other jewels and other things and he's, and he's sending a letter of apology over to the king of Assyria. He's starting to waver in his own faith and it's in the middle of those times and those crises that we begin to waver. There's so many times where I've, where I've said to God, where are you? Only to come back and say, I know you're there, Lord. It's my faith. It's my belief that is struggling. The Syrians use this fear and intimidation. If you look in chapter 36, I want to just read verses 4 through 20, and you're just going to hear the intimidation that they had. Beginning in verse 4, it says, And the spokesman said to them, Say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? You have rebelled against me, the king of Assyria. Who do you think you are? Verse 6, behold, you are trusting in Egypt that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it, such as the Pharaoh, king of Egypt to all who trust him. It's interesting, if you read some of the prophecies of Isaiah about Egypt, he uses some of the same language. Because King Ahaz, King Hezekiah's father, had trusted in Egypt. He goes on, he says in verse seven, but if you say to me, now listen to this, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? He didn't understand what Hezekiah was doing. 
Verse eight, come now, make a wager, a, a wager with my master, the king of Assyria, and I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Moreover, it is without the Lord that I've come up against the land to destroy it. The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim and Sheba and Joad said to the, to the spokesman, please speak to your servants in Arabic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. What they're worried about is, hey, all the people standing on the wall that were guarding the wall, don't speak in a language that they hear. We don't want them to grow fearful. We don't want them to quit trusting Hezekiah and trusting God. Speaking in Arabic, that we can understand. Now look what he responds. But the spokesman said, has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Verse 13, then the spokesman, st spokesman stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. You hear the boast? Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Verse 15, do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand, uh, will, this city will not be given in, into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come to me, then each of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig tree and each one of you will drink the water of your own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine and land of, of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvim? And I'm torching those names, but you get the idea. Have they delivered Samaria out of, out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands had delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? You hear it? You hear the boast of the king of Assyria? Do you hear the fear of the men standing on the wall? The uncertainty of those that heard these words. This great army. In fact, in all of these boasts, what he's saying in verse six, you are not alone. You're all alone. Your friends, your allies are useless. You're alone. You are too weak to help yourself. In verse eight, he says, even if I gave you 2,000 horses, do you have the men to put on it? I could beat you with one hand tied behind my back. You stand no chance. You are too weak to help yourself. Would it be easier just to give up? I mean, those men standing on the wall, you're gonna be eating of your own filth. Just give up. It's easier to give up. It's easier, dear people of God, to go in our own way than to trust a God that sometimes we don't see what the next step is. 
When Abraham, God called him out of a land, and he says, I'll send you to a land that I will show you. That first step, he didn't know where the destination was. But by faith, he took that step. In the middle of a crisis, we don't always know what the next step is. But dear people of God, let us not grow weak in our hope. Let us not grow weak in our faith of the almighty God that we serve. I serve a living God. I serve an everlasting God. I serve an all-powerful God. And he is able to see me through. Amen? We need those amens. We need a people who understand who their God is. And who by faith walk after him and trust him for every step of the way. There is a day that's coming when God will deal with the nations. And a day when he will send his son. And the trumpets will sound and I look for that day. But until that day, my nose is set on him. My eyes are set on him. He is the direction I follow. He is the one I walk after. And I don't know what's going to befall in the days ahead. But this I know, in eternity, my God will still be God. And there can be a king to raise up and say, do not trust in your God. And dear people of God, with all of our our Google and our internet and everything that's flooding into our world, we're being told time and time again not to trust in our God. We're to trust in ourselves. We're to trust in our own power. We can determine our way. We trust in a government. Where we trust in this. Dear people of God, we are the people of God, and we trust in him and him alone. Amen? Let us not forget. Let us not forget who we are. As the children of God, As a people of God, let us not forget. Let us take strength in who he is. In the midst of crisis, in the midst of struggles, when we feel crushed and we don't think we have another breath, we have another breath. And it's a breath of the spirit that dwells within us. That we would be a people that stand in him, in him. Sometimes following God is hard. And we're told to give up, that God won't help us. He even says, hey, God's mad at you. God, God is mad at you because you tore down these, these altars and these temples. He doesn't understand that, that these temples and these altars were just the same as, as wood idols and, and, the, and false gods. He sees, he sees Yahweh in the same way. He says even, your God told me to destroy you. It's God's will that you be destroyed in verse 10. And he says in verses 20, 15 to 20, he says, hey, even if God wants to help you, he can't. Look at all these other gods. And they failed. Your God can't help you. Have you believed that before, folks? Have you given up? Let us not be a people that give up. We have a God who is able to see his people through. It's the distortions that come during the times of crisis that direct us into the direction that we shouldn't go. But when we have distortions about who God is in the midst of crisis, we are in trouble if we believe them. We cannot forget the God that we serve. Hezekiah was at a point where he absolutely had no other solution to this. He couldn't solve this. What does he do? Does he turn like his father? 
You could read it in 2 Chronicles 28, verses 22, where Ahaz made alliances. In fact, he began to worship the God of Damascus because he thought somehow that God saved his people and he didn't trust in his God. Does, does he turn away? A lot of times when we begin to turn away, we give up on God. We begin to blame God for our lives and ruining our lives. We begin to seek our own solutions, our own relief. We quit reading this word. We quit praying. We stop listening to God. We stop caring about what God thinks. That's what happens when we turn away from him. We can't be a people that do that. In chapter seven, Hezekiah makes two trips to the temple. In the first trip, we see it in verses 37, chapter 37, verses one through four. In fact, in one and two, it says, and as soon as the king heard these things that were told, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and, ash, and, and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Sheba, the secretary, and the senior priest covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. We see him humbled. We see him at the end of his rope. We see him approaching the temple, hoping God will act. In verses three, he sends people to Isaiah in verses three and four. He tells them, say to him, thus says Hezekiah, this is the day of distress, of rebuke and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear your words of the spokesman whom his master, the king of Assyria, sent to mock the living God. And will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. You know, he's saying, I, I, I really believe at this point, King Hezekiah thinks the city of Jerusalem is going to fall to the king of Assyria. You see him in sackcloth and sorrow, forgetting the prophecy of Isaiah, hoping God hears the prayer of Isaiah. And Isaiah sends him back and says, remind him that Assyria will not succeed. They will not conquer. Take faith. Well, Sennacherib has another battle that arises in another part of his country. So he leaves to go deal with that battle. So, he, so the delay or the siege on Jerusalem is delayed. So he sends his spokesman again. And he sends him with a letter that he writes and he gives it to Hezekiah. And he again goes to the temple again. And you see that down in verse 14 of chapter 37. If you look there, verse 14 and verse, through verse 20. It says, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. You're going to find Hezekiah a little bit more calm here. A little bit more faith. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. I have been so impacted by those words right there in my life. What Hezekiah does is he takes this letter and he goes into the temple. He's not wearing sackcloth. He's, you don't see him panicking. Maybe God will hear Isaiah's prayers. Maybe God will do this. You see that Isaiah comes to a place where he realizes the only one that can address this is God. The only one that can fight for this is God. And he takes this letter and he just kind of pushes it out there before God. And he leaves it there. He doesn't know the outcome. He may die from the battle. 
Maybe God allows Assyria to attack Jerusalem. He doesn't know the outcome, but he takes that letter and he pushes it and he gives it over to God and the outcome, the consequences, they're all in God's hands. And over my lifetime, I've, as I've followed after God, I've thought of Hezekiah over and over again, that in the middle of these times when, when the trials came, just take that. I remember the words of the doctor when he told me that he thought that I had cancer on my kidney. I just pushed it out there. If I did, I did. If I didn't, I didn't. But I am, I am God's. There's things I can't control in my life. I can't dictate a, a culture, can I? I can't dictate other people what they do. I can't, I can't help a pipe from not busting. I can't stop or make water flow when it's not flowing. I, I, there's so many things in our lives that happen to us that create crisis that we can't control. What do we do? Do we run and pound on the walls? Do we curse and call out the, all the officials? Do we, do, we, do, we, do we blame God? Do we just get mad and we sit in anger? Or do we just kind of take it and say, God, here it is. Here it is. You see, when you get to a place in your walk with God that you finally realize that the only thing you have, when you're hopelessly falling into the everlasting arms of God, that you realize that's enough. That when you finally realize that all you have is God and God himself, that you begin to realize that is enough. And Hezekiah just pushes it over there. It's been a mental picture I use, even when I pray many times now, I'm, I'm, in my mind, I'm, I'm just pushing it over there. God, it's yours. It's yours. Well, who am I that I would fret over so many things that I can't control? Who am I, God, to, to criticize your creation? Who am I to criticize others that you have created, that you love, that your son has died for? Who am I? It's yours. You're the one that can send your spirit and speak and divide soul and spirit. You're the one that can fix things. You speak to the winds. Father, you are in charge. I, I don't know the outcome, but God, it's yours. It's yours, it's yours. I'm your servant. You didn't ask me when you created what I thought. When you spoke light into, into existence, I wasn't there. You didn't ask me about the plans that you have in the coming of your son, the second coming. You are God. And I love this picture when Hezekiah just pushes it across. And then it says, and he prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, and thrown above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone. Boy, that one understanding in your walk with God will change everything. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. You think he's thinking about himself right now? Or you think he's thinking about the heresy and the mockery of this person who is mocking God? He's more concerned about God 
defining who he is. Truly, O Lord, the king of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast out their gods into the fire for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. You know, when I came to Christ, I began reading through my Bible and I ran across this guy named Enoch. I was always amazed by Enoch because it said he walked with God for 300 years and that he was not. And I was thinking at the time, and I'm, I'm shooting for 80, you know, like I want to walk with God for 80 years. I was about 17 then. I was like, you know, maybe 80, 83, I want to get to 100, you know, or something like that, you know. I'm like, this guy walked with you for 300 years. And I said, Lord, I want to learn to walk with you that others would know in all of my foolishness, my own iniquity, that the things that you do in my life weren't done by me, they were done by you. That you carve the, the heart and you direct the ways. And may God my heart be soft, may my heart be yielding that I might walk in all of your ways. That others would know of your glory, of your, of your goodness, that you alone are the God of gods, the King of kings. Isn't that what God wants to do in us? And so many times in the midst of crisis, we grab the wheel and we direct the path. And many times it's in those moments that when we really can learn about our God, it's when we push it over there and we trust him with the outcome. We trust him with the ways. And it doesn't always work out the way we like, but God can glorify himself with a servant who has a contrite heart a believing heart, a person of faith. Amen? Be strong, dear people of God. Do not let this pandemic and all the stuff that's gone on politically and socially and a week of freeze destroy your faith. Do not allow it to weaken your faith. Do not allow it to weaken your trust in the almighty God. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and there is no other. That is the God we serve dear people of God. Let's pray. Father God, speak to us. Father, there's a lot of different things that folks have gone on, especially this last week. But Lord, over the last year, man, if we had our way, if I could control, then God, I would just make it all go away and everything go back to normal. But what is normal, God? For the believer, normal is that we trust in you. We walk after you, regardless of the circumstances. We wanna, we wanna control, Father, the way our life is, the way, we, the way we play, the way that we visit our homes. We want all those things, dear God. But ultimately, Father, if we're your children, if we're your people, if we are your servants and you're the God of God, King of kings, then Lord, don't you decide that? Bend our hearts, Father that we may bow before you, that, Father, we would recognize your sovereignty in our lives, that, Fa that, Father, you would be willing to use us, that, Father, you would bring revival among your people, that, Father, you would stir us up, that we might love you and 
even more today than we thought we could yesterday. Teach us these things, God. Amen.